morning, everyone. <laughs> this is not the official good morning. I'll do it again in a little bit. Um, it seems that we might be having some technical difficulties, um, either with the slides or the live stream or, or the projector. Um, and so uh, just ahead of time, I can let you know what songs we will be doing if you want to look them up on your phone. Um, if not, it's okay sometimes not to sing. Uh, oh, all right. Thank you, Arjun <laughs> and Scott and Les up there. Woohoo! Awesome. And, uh, <laughs> oh, yes, one is just fine. You guys. You guys can see, right? <laughs> All right. Um, and once I get the thumbs up from Scott. All right. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. <laughs> Welcome to Christian Lehman Church. Welcome to our Sunday morning worship service. Um, it's good to see all of you guys here. Uh, good morning to all of you at the church office and also those of you guys watching at home. Um, we're so glad that you came to worship with us as a church family. Um, and this morning, uh, this morning I just want to start off a little bit differently. I know we, uh, we, we will start off with musical worship like normal, but before that I just... I just want to invite you all to take a moment to just sit there, <laughs> to sit and prepare yourself to be in the presence of God. Um, sometimes I think we rush into things or we don't really take that time to sit and to be there with the Lord. And so don't be afraid of the silence. It's not awkward. Don't worry. Um, but just take a few minutes to... Um, be with the Lord, and if you are carrying something, if you have something that you're just thinking about, that you're praying about, that you're worried about, whatever it may be, I invite you to use this time to just give it to the Lord. Allow his peace and his comfort to just fill you as you, as you hold that to him.
Good morning, God. Um, Lord, we thank you that we can just take a moment to sit in your presence. That the silence, it's, it's, it's not awkward, but it's actually, it's actually kind of nice just to be able to sit in silence and have the distractions and the noises and the voices of the world just be silenced for, for one second. Now we can sit here, we can be still, and we can know that you are God. Lord, the world is loud. Um, Life is hard. Things happen that we don't understand. It can be easy to lose hope. But you are God, and you are good. You are God, and you are with your people. We call you good, good father and good shepherd. You're the one that gives grace and love and hope and peace. And it is true that it is your joy that is our strength every day. Lord, when we don't feel like worshiping, help us to worship. Help us to sing. Help us to look and keep our eyes focused upon you, God. For we know that you are the one constant And so this morning, Lord, we want to give you ourselves. We want to give you our hearts. We want to give you everything. May you be glorified by our worship this morning, Lord. And if we can't sing, that's okay. I pray, Lord, that this moment, this moment would be a moment for you and God. Talk to him, pray to him, sing to him, cry out to him. We thank you, Lord, for who you are, and we thank you that you are constant and you are with us. Help us to worship this morning, God. We love you so much, Lord. We give you this worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you all stand with me?
Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my soul, I live for you alone, every breath that I take, every moment I'm awake, Lord, have your background behind this song, but it was written by Horatio Spafford. I hope I'm saying that right. And he penned these words after he lost four of his daughters in a, in a freak accident. And he sat down and he wrote these words, it is well, it is well with my soul. And I just, I just look at that and I'm like, how could someone go through something so tragic like that? and still be able to say that, right? I mean, most normal people can't. But it just dawned on me, right? It's not that this guy was just a superhuman, super spiritual. It was just that he had and he knew what he had in the Lord, who was his strength, who was his peace, who was his hope. And so this morning, I just encourage you, whatever you may be holding, whatever you might be praying to the Lord this morning in that moment of silence, just just open it up to the Lord. Be still in his presence and allow his peace to fill you. You can say, it is well, it is well with my soul.
Lord God, we thank you because of the hope that you bring. We thank you that we can look at the things in our life and the things that happen in this world and the people around us that may hurt us, Lord, and we can say, it is well, it is well with my soul. I don't understand it, but it is well with my soul because of you, Jesus. Thank you for being our hope and our peace and our light. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May all be seated. Thank you, worship team, uh, for ringing in this morning. Um, Good morning, CLC, uh, to everyone on the live stream this morning, uh, to all of our CM folk, and to everyone here in person. Uh, Hope you guys are all doing well. Uh, I guess uh, before I get started with the announcements this morning, uh, I just want to kind of uh, resound on what uh, Caitlin was saying earlier, that you know, each week with Community Life, I always look forward to kind of bringing that levity and uh, some of that uh, Laker joy uh, to everyone here at CLC. But I want to kind of start off this morning by just saying I know there are people who are feeling under the weather and uh, just a lot of craziness with uh, members in our community who are healthcare workers and teachers. And so I just want to kind of start off this morning by giving a shout out uh, and also just saying that for people who aren't feeling well, uh, we're praying for you. Um, get well soon, and we can't wait to have you all back here in person to worship the Lord together. Um, And so this morning, um, that being said, uh, simply put, the mission statement here at CLC uh, is to make disciples who love God, love people, and who seek to serve the world. One way that we seek to love on people here in our community is getting to know you. And so if this is your first time joining us, uh, whether on the live stream or in person, we'd love to get to know you and your family and just get you plugged in with our loving communities here at CLC. Uh, Simply reach us at www.christianlayman.org forward slash contact or email us at info at christianlayman.org for more information. As you know, uh, each week I have the QUAU or QUO, which stands for question of the week. And this week, I stumbled across an ad for cereal-flavored milk. Now, as a soggy cereal enthusiast, I know it's criminal, but it's also, I don't know, I just enjoy it. Um, I just wanted to know in the chat section to kind of get this morning going in the comment section or just with people around you, does the cereal go first or does the milk? Um, One of the most hotly debated questions of all time. Um, and, uh, with that, uh, for the first announcement today, uh, put this on your calendar for this upcoming Tuesday, we'll be having a CLC, uh, missions prayer time with, uh, Spencer and Cassidy Hoyt, who are, par- who are a part of Mexican Caravan Ministries, uh, one of our longtime standing partners, um, for all the great work that they're doing to spread the gospel in Tijuana. Now, if you see in this picture, Uh, Spencer and Cassidy are the top photo, and below is our most recent CLC team that went out to Tijuana um, to uh, just serve and to uh, serve the world and really show God's love. Um, And so for more information about what this upcoming year has in store for 
uh, MCM. Definitely make sure to check that out at 8.30 on Tuesday. Next, as a church community that, that loves its food and also is a huge fan of our multi-talented Josh Quo, our Iron Chef and Iron Worship Leader, um, definitely check this out. At 4 p.m. today, we'll be doing wonton soup. Not only will it be wontons and soup, it will be fried wontons and soup. And so uh, definitely make sure to check that out. Um, and if you haven't RSVP'd yet, there's still time. So make sure to check out the Evite. And we'd love to see as many of your smiling faces there at 4 p.m. on Zoom. And with that, um, we have a very special segment for the Hashtag Rear CLC missionaries. I'd like to invite up the one but not only Gordon. Thanks. Thanks, Denny. Um, This year, we are getting to know our CLC missionaries better and connecting them to you through prayer. Um, As we learned last year when we were sending out the Huangs, those who go on uh, out to the mission field are only half of the picture. It's like a person going to into a cave. The explorer needs somebody to hold the safety rope for them. And that's where we come in. Our prayers help support their work and their ministry. And each month we are going to be um, introducing a missionary or missionaries that CLC supports. And uh, we'll let you know how to pray for them. And we've created a calendar, uh, where it should show up as well on the on the slide here, that will that <clears throat> help um, help you um, pray for the, the missionaries. So we suggest that maybe you use this with your family to pray after um, on Tuesday nights when you're having dinner together or something like that. And <clears throat> after each date, when you um, when you've completed the the prayer, you can uh, cross off the date or um, put a sticker on the on the uh, on the calendar board. And um, if whoever has completed a uh, a complete calendar um, at the end of the period, it will give you a, um, a, a spe- um, you'll receive a prize from CLC. So it's on our system, of course, but um, but that's just an encouragement and. Um, for today, who, who doesn't like something free, um, you should have received one of these um, when you came in. Um, so if you take a look on the back of your, of your card, if you have a penguin sticker, raise your hand. And, uh, and, and you're, you're going to get some free stickers from Caitlin. So today we're going to be introducing uh, Patricia and Lissandra Restrepo. They've been supported by CLC since 2003. And in 2008, a youth team went down to visit them in Monterey, Mexico. And Gilbert Matsuoka did an eye, an eye exam there, and that was the genesis of our um, eye screenings in West Oakland and Richmond. The Restrepos are now in Lyon, Mexico, um, about five hours north of Mexico City, and they are helping a ministry called FAST, which stands for Faith, Action, Service, and Transformation. They offer safe spaces for children, youth, and women, um, and men for children's clubs, fitness classes, uh, a food bank, 
academic help, counseling, and microfinance groups for um, women who are starting businesses. To help you get to know them a little bit better, we asked Patty how she came to become a missionary and would like to share a video of her answering the question. We all sleep on the park to be able to come to classes the next day. You know, things that you would never think that would happen. And I have friends that they, they went through that in order to pursue their, their, their degree. They had to sleep on the park. Or, you know, things like that. Or uh, when I graduated, then I was sent to the mountains of Colombia to serve the poor. So I had to go, uh, you know, uh, on a horse to go all the way up to the top of the, of the mountains to serve uh, people there that are abandoned by the government. So those were the things that changed my mind because I wanted to be a surgeon. I wanted to serve in a hospital setting. But then when I went through those experiences that the Lord put before of me, so that increased my desire to use my knowledge, my abilities, my capabilities to serve the Lord and to, to, to yeah, to seek justice and peace. Um, yeah, so it, the same thing. It was a whole process of being open to notice God talking to my heart and uh, calling me to serve through my own uh, privileges and blessings. Uh, kind of like when he asked Moses, uh, when Moses told him, I don't know how am I going to do this? And he's, oh, he said to him, what do you have in your hands? That was kind of my, you know, what do I have in my hands that we have to um, contribute to the work for the kingdom of God? That was my, and continues to be like that. So let, let's pray for uh, a will. Let's pray for the struggles. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who crosses cultures, who created diversity and um, and the richness of of different um, ethnic groups. And yet, Father, we see um, division and strife and injustice, and we know, God, that that's not right and um, and that you've not designed it that way, Father, that you desire to reconcile us. And so I thank you that um, for, for Patty and Lissandra Restrepo, that they are reconcilers, Father, that they are working um, to, to, uh, to, to bring your kingdom here on earth, Father. Um, thank you for the partnership with them for many years, for hosting our youth team and, um, and just as being generous with their, um, with their time and with their, their talents. And we pray for their ministry in Lyon now. They moved there in 2020 in the middle of the pandemic, and um, it's been difficult to, to reach out to the, um, to the community where they they don't really have, have computers and, and limited internet access and so we pray for the ministry for the team there for pastor sandra and the rest of their teammates that uh, father you would equip them and um, give them ways to be able to reach out to the 
to the poor and the vulnerable in their community. Father, thank you that you gave them a building um, to house their, their ministry, that they could have a, a safe space for kids and youth and, and families to come and learn about um, Jesus and, and to just do um, holistic ministry as well, Lord, to have fitness clubs, to have um, um, just uh, tutoring classes and things like that. So I pray that you just continue to guide them. Pray for safety um, for their community, um, for many who do not have access to medical care. Pray that uh, that you keep them safe from COVID. And we pray, Father, for... Um, their son Samuel, uh, who is um, is growing up and has been a missionary kid, and um, pray for his faith to um, to grow, for him to to um, to love you with all his heart, Father, and to find his own path. Um, and uh, just pray that you give them wisdom as they um, dis- de- determine when to move back for his college and things like that. So we thank you for them and um, for Patty and Alessandro Restrepo, and ask your blessing over them in your son's name. We pray, Amen. Thanks, thanks, Gordon, for that update from the Restrepos. Uh, brings back memories when uh, my children went to Monterey, Mexico, with to be with them in their ministry when they were youth, and uh, did a VBS down there. So, thanks for that update. Well, good morning, everyone. I hope I find you well in the new year. Uh, and yes, I can still say Happy New Year since it's still early in January. Um, Before I speak, I want to pray for us before we begin to look at God's word. So let's pray. Heavenly, gracious Father, I want to take a moment to honor the life of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. on his birthday weekend for his dedication to bring justice and civil rights to not just African Americans, but for all tribes and nations. Dr. King had a dream that all people would be judged by the content of their character and not by the color of their skin, in spite of what some may think, say, or legislate. I ask that you bless those who carry on his legacy for justice and peace in this country, those that are trying to be unifiers and not dividers. The work is daunting, but what is impossible for man is possible with God. As we prepare now to hear from your word, may you help us to see, feel, experience what you want us to May the words of my mouth and the medication of my heart be pleasing to you. I pray this in the most precious name of Jesus. Amen. In this season of life for me, Christmas and New Year are very special because I get to see my children. They come home, and for a few days, my family is intact, whole again. Well, my children have left the nest, and one is now on the East Coast, and another is in Southern California. And now some of you know them because they grew up in this church, but some of you have never really met them. And usually what happens when people meet our children, they often make comments of whether they look like my wife or me. Naturally, there should be some resemblance because they are our children. Applying that idea to our faith, do you ever wonder what it looks like to be a child of God? It does make sense. This characteristic of looking like our parents would also apply to followers of Jesus Christ. We should look like our Heavenly Father. 
To be called children of God implies we should both inwardly and outwardly resemble him. And for our benefit, God gave us his son Jesus as our role model as to how that looks in word and deed. We are currently in a series called Upside Down, based on the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew. And since this is the beginning of a new year, some of us make resolutions for positive change in our lives. Now, maybe one area is your finance. We look at how we spend or invest our our money for a better future. Another might be how we invest in our relationships. Now, in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus also tells us how to invest, particularly to invest for eternity and for a unified community. His instructions are to bless our lives, but some of us ignore them because we think they're not relevant anymore or they cramp our style. We resist because we feel there's no tangible return on our investment like that in our stock portfolios. However, if we follow Jesus' advice, the upside is a more full and joyful well-being. Some call this wholeness or shalom. But maybe that's not what you want in life. That's not the good life that you're looking for. I really want to be careful here. Jesus does not promise earthly prosperity. Instead, offers a wholeness that is superior to our earthly circumstances. Something that many underappreciate and maybe even don't understand. You don't know what you don't know. When life is good, we don't feel we need Jesus' wholeness. But when our world is falling apart, we wish we had more of it. Full disclosure, to live upside down is not easy and often does not make sense. If we seriously take them to heart, Jesus' teachings will flip our world upside down. It's very hard to go upstream against powerful currents of the world's waves and trends. For many of us, it's unnatural and so countercultural. But if we are to be known as God's people, we must trust that Jesus' upside-down ways, no matter how difficult for us, will lead to a better and blessed life. And I, I love how Caitlin last week challenged us with this question, which will be applicable throughout our sermon series. And that question is, as a Christian, is the world a better place because you're in it? Great question. So let's turn to God's word to continue in the Sermon on the Mount and see what Jesus has to say about how we can make the world a better place. So I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 5, verses 19 to 26. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to the, long, to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. 
Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister was something, has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. And that is the word of the Lord. Last week, we all heard that as Christians, we're supposed to be salt and light of the world. That salt and that light are useful because they are distinctive. And when, when applied to us as children of God, our usefulness is dependent on that distinctiveness. You have probably heard this saying many times. For Christians to be in the world, but not of the world. Through the Holy Spirit's work in us, we are now new beings, new creatures. Non-Christians that we encounter should see us as distinctive from them in our newness. Otherwise, we are no different than the people who are not followers. This distinctiveness must be based on goodness and not lies. It must come from God himself. Otherwise, our distinctiveness might be associated with what is popular, what's hip, and not true. So many today rather believe celebrities and social media influencers over real sources of truth, which feels so boring and bland and even archaic. But truth will always be truth. And this was no different in biblical times because back then there were these religious influencers known as the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And I love how Jesus addressed this problem in Matthew 5, verse 19. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Right off the bat, following his call to be salt and light, Jesus addressed the problem that was plaguing the culture. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees were supposed to be the most righteous and pious group in the Jewish culture. But they were not practicing what they were preaching. But instead, they were gaming the system, actually perverting God's commands, allowing them to look good from the outside. These religious leaders were interpreting and teaching God's commands to their advantage, creating loopholes that allowed them to follow the letter of the law, but just skirting the spirit of the law. Over and over again, Jesus repeatedly said in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard that it was said, referring likely to the Pharisees' biased teaching and to the common popular thinking of that time before giving his truth. Verse 20, Jesus gave a perplexing warning. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. I mean, wow. The so-called righteousness of the uber-religious Pharisees amounted to nothing and fell way short of God's standard of righteousness, something, something somehow related 
to entering God's family and ultimately heaven. Now, the word, the word righteousness is it's not just a common word that we often use in our daily conversations, if we're honest. I mean, hey, I like some righteousness with that cup of coffee, please. Not likely to be said. Righteousness in Hebrew is a word, sadaka. Put simply, that word means right relations with God and man. Righteousness in Hebrew is, again, the word sadaka. Now imagine a common person hearing Jesus, that he had to be more righteous than that society's most religious elite to enter heaven. If Pharisees couldn't do it, who could? I want to pause here to ask a question for all of us to consider. How is your righteousness doing today? How we answer that critical question will help us understand whether or not we can enter heaven. And with that as our backdrop, Jesus goes immediately to an issue that we are all really concerned about. Murder. Seriously, Jesus? Murder? Not money, not health, not worries, but murder. Yet Jesus exactly said that. You shall not murder. Now, honestly, not many of us will ever likely disobey that command. But on the other hand, like many things in life, I can never say never. Now, as I was reflecting and preparing for this message this morning, I remembered an incident that happened over 50 years ago when I was just in elementary school. Well, back then, I was a scrawny, skinny kid. Come to think of it, I still am. Of course, maybe not the kid part. Physically, I was no threat to anybody. And personality-wise, I was quiet and reserved. But on the playing field, in sports, I was a different person. A different side of me came up, especially in basketball. I was so competitive and intense. Now, thankfully, by the grace of God, finding Jesus saved me and transformed me, I think, into a better person. I was playing hoops one day at the school playground, and a guy guarding me was taunting me and trash-talking, which is kind of normal if you ever played street ball. Now, my style is not to trash-talk. I'm usually a cool-headed, even-keeled kind of guy. But that day... The man guarding me was really getting under my skin. And, and maybe I was having a bad game, but his relentless bullying, I finally snapped. The next thing I knew, I had my hands around his neck on top of him, and I was choking him. In my anger, I could have killed him if people didn't pull me off of him. As a pastor, I'm kind of ashamed and embarrassed to share that story. But my anger caused me to do something terrible to another human being. But I am human. I realize something deep inside me can make me capable to do something so terrible. Now, uh, an epilogue to that story. Obviously, that kid never bothered me again. (laughs) And actually, we became friends later. Besides being a pastor, I'm a retired dentist. And for a few years, I worked both my own private practice and I also worked in the jail system, in the prison clinics. 
And there I met real-life murderers, killers, and criminals. On the outside, they looked like you and me if you saw them on the streets. Male, female, adult, juvenile, and some were even Christians too. But for one moment in time, they lost control of their emotions. In their anger, they harmed someone. They did horrific acts of violence. I mean, that can happen to any one of us. Like that day on that playground for me. Jesus was not going to let us check off that box saying, we never murdered anyone to show proof of our righteousness. Simply by not murdering does not get you into heaven. Nope, that doesn't fly. That's not how it works. Jesus was taking this Old Testament law about murder one step further, telling us to be mindful of the spirit of the law and not the letter of the law. It wasn't just about getting into heaven. The audience hearing this likely was surprised by this deeper spiritual meaning. Jesus wanted us to know that anger is the same as murder, both subject to judgment. And we see this in verse 22. To clarify, Jesus is not saying never to be angry because Jesus himself was angry at times for things that angered God, like social injustices or unfairness. That's what we call righteous anger. Today, we're looking specifically at unrighteous anger, and there will be judgment for that. Verse 22 says, But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Here, Jesus intentionally said, Brother or sister. Matter of fact, he said this twice implying this example mainly involved the behavior of his followers in the family of God. A reason for this this emphasis might be that our relationships not only within the faith community will be healthier, but also we are being watched by the outside world how we treat one another. Remember, as Christians, we are supposed to be the salt and light of the world, but we all have this darkness in our hearts, that needs the light of God to eradicate. It's easy to dismiss that we don't have a problem with murder, but it's harder to avoid saying that we never get angry. Given this context, Jesus says, if one is angry with a fellow believer, there will be judgment. And Jesus uses two examples here to illustrate what he meant. In anger, calling someone raka or you fool is apparently the same as murder and will come with judgment. So why is Jesus making such a big deal with what seems like merely using some bad words? So let's look closer at these two examples. Raka is an Aramaic word that was extremely derogatory. A harsh profanity. It was like calling someone empty-headed or stupid. And I think I'm um, translating very mildly. In that time, this was extreme slander and subject to being brought to court. I imagine it might be like calling a referee the magic word. And forgive my language, 
which has the abbreviation MF, which for those in the know gets you immediately tossed out of the game. Second example is saying to someone, you fool. So again, why is this so bad? I mean, many of us surely have called people fools. Some scholars believe, particularly for this context, that this is related to what you believe in is foolish. And don't get me wrong, many people believe in foolish things. But here, Jesus was probably referring particularly to the situation back then where his disciples were being called fools. Not just by the non-religious, but also by the religious elite, the Jewish teachers of the law. And God's judgment seems to imply burning in hell for doing that. That's pretty serious, which makes it make sense if you call believing Jesus as foolish. Because denying Jesus' deity is a serious offense and has the ultimate consequence of eternal death. In other words, rejecting the truth of Jesus as the Son of God. On the surface, Jesus is warning us to avoid using disparaging name-calling or insults. That is not of God, but of the enemy who destroys and divides. But it's got to be more than just biting our tongues when we are angry. Something deeper inside of us needs to be dealt with. Earlier, I, I, I mentioned there's a deeper spiritual meaning that Jesus was trying to get across here with a problem of murder and anger. For one, the very act of murder finds its roots in an angry, murderous spirit, which can be in any of us. God examines the very thoughts and intents of the heart and passes judgment upon unrighteous anger. You thunk it, you done it. Murder begins in the heart, and hurling insults are signs that there is hatred lurking within. An attitude of hatred that shows up in our anger makes us morally guilty before God. To think bad and evil thoughts about someone to some degree, we have committed a crime or sin against that person. Guilty. Recently, I saw this on one of my media feeds. It's pretty funny, kind of humorous, and I have to admit, but so true of how we feel when we are angry. Do we have that image to show? Here we see this grumpy koala bear and is thinking, I never wish death upon anyone who wrongs me. Instead, I wish sudden explosive diarrhea while stuck in traffic with frequent sneezes. Ouch. As redeemed sinners, Jesus is reminding us what we do, what we say, even what we think should reflect more the character of God than our natural selves. And I remind us, the world is watching. Our natural tendency is to justify and rationalize our behavior, even when deep down we know we are being bad. Plus, a bad attitude tainted by anger can be contagious and unhealthy in God's community. Because we all know this, birds of a feather flock together and misery loves company. We have to be mindful who we hang out with because 
we will be influenced by their thinking and behavior, especially if it's negative or toxic. Therefore, Jesus instructs us with something practical to help us manage our anger, and that is to have self-awareness in our relationships. Earlier in the previous examples that we saw in verse 22, Jesus was addressing uh, anger that we might have. Now, here in verse 23 to 26, Jesus used tangible examples of how to deal with anger that others might have against us. These cases are probably harder to deal with or recognize because we have to have the humility and the sensitivity to how others are feeling. Matthew 5, uh, verses 23, 24 says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. So apparently, our personal relationships affect our worship, which is connected with our relationship and good standing with God. Jesus is calling us to reconcile with others we might have offended. Otherwise, our worship is not acceptable. It's negated. Our vertical relationship with God is not whole anymore. So question, is there someone in your life you need to go to who who might be angry with you? Do you feel God nudging you at this very moment? This is never easy to do, but necessary if we hope to experience God's blessing of a full and joyful life. And notice, the responsibility is for us to be self-aware of the condition of our relationships with people in our circles, to take the initiative to clear the air and go to them to seek reconciliation. Would you find this easy to do, what Jesus is asking us to do? I would think this is hard. And this was no different for the listeners back then as it is for us today. That's upside-down living. Otherwise, it wouldn't be upside-down. And you can see without this self-awareness in us how how that offended, angry person must feel about us. Frustrated, I'm sure. But we can't change others and can only start with ourselves. As people of God, we are to develop a self-awareness to notice if we made another person angry, then to seek amends with him or her in our personal relationships. And this posture of reconciliation applies not just in personal relationships, but I propose that it also applies in our business relationships. Matthew 5, verses 25 to 26, uses a case of paying our debts to others quickly. Here, we are advised to be proactive, to settle our debts in a timely, urgent fashion before disputes escalate, which is sadly in contrast to the, to the world being so litig- litigious and suit-happy. Easier to to not think of the good of the other party, but rather for our own individual rights. We are always looking for the biggest bang for the buck. Do you think people will notice a difference if you paid on time, honored your contracted deliverables, fair in your negotiations? That's what upside-down people do. 
um, being on staff at Christian Living Church for over 22 years now, I've had the privilege to work with many pastors and leaders on our staff. And, and one pastor who is a mentor and a good friend was leaving our church for a good reason to start a new ministry. And on his goodbye time with me, he asked me if he had ever offended me in, in any way. And if so, asked for, for my for forgiveness. That, that blew me away because that never had happened to me before. What he did was so upside down, even in ministry of all places. But he was such a great model of a godly man following Jesus' teaching to pro- proactively seek to reconcile. It impressed me so much and touched me so much that I, I will try to do that in the same way in my own life. So some of you may be asking, why do this? Not to murder. Ah, that's no problem. Sure, to manage our, mag- ma- our anger well. That's really good. Check. All good. But is that enough to motivate us to be upside down in our ways? Because the world's ways seem so nice and comfy. Well, if you believe in investing in a better world and having a more full and joyful well-being, you will understand why it is important to do this. And that is to pursue shalom in our community and world by serving others. Shalom is the Hebrew word for peace or wholeness. It is completeness. And there's a reason why Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. Jesus began his Sermon on the Mount talking about the characteristics of people who are, the, are his followers. And these are known as the Beatitudes. And Matthew 5 verse 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Like I began my talk this morning, we are children of God. So we should resemble God. And God is peace. According to this verse, if we want to be known as children of God, we are to be peacemakers too, not troublemakers. Peacemakers don't want to murder, don't hate people in anger, don't throw shade on others, but build them up. A peacemaker is one who promotes God's peace. As Christians, we are to seek shalom or wholeness for ourselves and the watching world. This practically means putting our own selfish desires aside and seeking the well-being of others. Another way we often say this is to love your neighbor as yourself, which is so countercultural and oftentimes so unnatural, especially when we've been hurt or we're suffering or in pain. Earlier, we sang that song, It Is Well but With My Soul, and it was penned by an author who just lost his four daughters. This morning, um, my heart is heavy because when I came here, I heard uh, sad news that a, a young woman who grew up in our church was a victim of a crime in New York City and was killed tragically by some stranger who pushed her under a subway train. I can't imagine what her parents are feeling right now. And amongst that kind of pain and tragedy, God calls us still to be peacemakers. 
Peacemakers create an environment of peace in the community even when it provides no gain to you. This is sacrifice. This is the cost of servanthood. Again, upside down in a world that is more me, me, me. As Christians, we're called to care for the spiritual needs of people as well as the physical seeking to create shalom for each person we encounter. This is hospitality and generosity to make others whole again. This is our good deeds, like giving out free eyeglasses to the neighborhood or bringing meals to a woman's shelter, helping campus ministries reach out to students, or donating so little kids can have Christmas presents in Tijuana, all under the banner of Jesus. And I think, most importantly, Jesus calls us to be peacemakers in our relationships, to be a unifier and not a divider, which is challenging and upside down in the world's ways. Practicing confession, repentance, forgiveness, and lament is hard and takes discipline, but gives peace. This is not the world's way, but upside down way. And that's how we will make a distinctive difference in the world as children of God. Having our relationships healthy and right leads to peace in ourselves and in our community. Earlier, I asked this question, how is your righteousness? Remember, righteousness is defined as having a right relationship with God and with people. Vertical and horizontal relationships. Jesus uses this topic of murder as a lead-in to anger. Both can destroy peace. Both are not part of God's kingdom. So I want to challenge us this week to take a moment to examine our relationships we have with other people in our lives. And more importantly, which we can easily make secondary, examine our relationship with Jesus and spend time with him while in prayer or reading his word and scripture. And decide on a plan if mending needs to take place. Jesus made this bold statement that our righteousness must be greater than the Pharisees to enter the kingdom of God, which seems impossible. It is if we depend on ourselves. However, the good news is that our righteousness comes from Jesus Christ and not us. We can never be perfect. Jesus is perfect. One day we will come before God to be judged. And if you want to be righteous before God, then commit to the following then commit to following Jesus and be obedient to his teachings. Then Jesus will be your advocate before God when you have a relationship with him. Romans 4 verse 24 gives this hope. But also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him and him being Jesus, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. If you have never made the decision to believe and follow Jesus, I want to invite you to do so. Your life will never be the same. It will change forever. Come talk to me or anyone on the staff, and we will help you understand what it means to have this kind of relationship and in turn receive wholeness. Because a relationship with Jesus, if we trust the promise that Apostle Paul made in in Romans 4, credits us with Jesus' perfect righteousness. That will, lead, that will lead to eternal life. Not only that, you will also receive the precious gift of the Holy Spirit, 
that will guide you in your earthly life, especially in those moments when you are struggling with anger. The peace of the Lord, shalom, will be with you too, letting you to be a peacemaker for God so then you can then pass it on to others. Peacemakers will make the world a better place. And if you are a peacemaker, you receive the reward and blessing of being a child of God. That's wholeness and vitality in Jesus Christ. That's something definitely to be joyful about. So how can the world be a better place with you in it? Invest in peace and be a unifier and not a divider. In our world, that has become so polarized and divided. This will make you distinctive and upside down in the world's eyes. Plus, receive God's blessing for a more full and joy-filled well-being. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, each, bless each person hearing my voice to desire and receive the fullness and wholeness that comes through your son Jesus, who gives a peace that the world cannot give, a peace or shalom that satisfies every urge and thirst we might have and overcomes hate and anger so we can love in the name of Jesus. I praise you and give thanks for the precious gift of your son Jesus. I pray this in the most precious name of Jesus. Amen. Pastor Calvin for that message. Church, we're going to respond with one more uh, song of worship. But I invite you, if there's something that God was putting on your heart, um, lean into that. Uh, we have prayer ministers in the back, um, right in the prayer corner over there, who would love to pray for you, pray with you. Um, if you have specific needs or concerns, or even just want to receive a prayer of blessing, um, make your way back there at any time. We're going to continue to sing, and I know it might seem overwhelming to just start off like, okay, I'm going to be a peacemaker, but we know that as Jesus is talking, he's starting to cultivate things in our heart. It starts in the heart and a desire for that, and so let's allow this to be our prayer as we sing this last song, that God would be changing us from the inside out, just truly starting with our hearts. Sometimes I fail, just one mercy remains. 
Oh, sure. I feel like I want to wipe down the mic. Yeah, let's do that. Turn it off first. <laughs>